0: Welcome to the Bluff First Podcast. We pray that this message would encourage and enrich your life. For more information, please visit us on the web at blufffirst.com. If you are unaware, um, if you're unaware, today is kind of an annual tradition. We started a few uh, years ago called our Blue Christmas Service. And uh, we're so delighted that you would be here, whether you came for that specifically, maybe somebody invited you or you didn't even know. You just came to church today. It happens to be Blue Christmas. Um, We're glad that you're here. If we've never met, my name's TJ. So thrilled that you would come. Um, A lot of people have put a lot of work into Uh, Today and every Sunday, try to make sure that you can come and enjoy uh, the presence of the Lord, that your kids can come and learn about Jesus, that there's coffee for you in Jesus' name. And so a lot of work to make you feel welcome. I hope you have felt welcome. And uh, I know that this is an interesting time of year. Christmas is the uh, most wonderful time of the year, right, supposedly, for so many. And uh, we have all the presents. We have all the shopping. We have the lights. We have the inflatables. Uh, we have the Christmas parties, we have the family traditions, and of course, it wouldn't be Christmas if everywhere you go, you didn't hear Mariah Carey singing at the top of her lungs, right? Which is fine by me, anything um, anything other than Santa baby, and I'm a happy guy. Um, but it's uh, it's an interesting time, it's so busy, it's so frantic, it's so hectic, and yet all of us, or many of us, look forward to it so, so much, it's the most highly anticipated holiday that there is. A lot of holidays sneak up on you. Somehow Christmas still kind of sneaks up on me, even though we talk about it from like Halloween on, but it is by far the most anticipated um, holiday. Here's the question we want to address this morning as part of our blue Christmas service is what do we do when Christmas hurts? What do we do when Christmas hurts? When Christmas is a reminder of things that haven't worked out like you hoped, when Christmas is maybe a reminder of past Christmases where uh, someone was with you who's not here now. Perhaps Christmas is a reminder of just time slipping through your fingers. You feel the kids getting bigger. You feel yourself getting older. And if you are in uh, later years, maybe you're realizing like, man, you're feeling the weight of your own mortality as you realize, I I really am getting older. Maybe Christmas hurts because you can't, you know, afford to give what you'd want to give and buy the gifts you'd want to buy, or, or maybe Christmas hurts because you find yourself facing Christmas and you're going to be doing a lot of it alone, either away from your family or there is no one to share that with. That struggle of what to do when Christmas hurts is what blue Christmas is about hope for the hurting. And whether you came here this morning with lots of pain or you're in a pretty good season of your life, I hope this message and this service will um, bless you. Here's the reality. Blue Christmas is for everybody um, because Romans chapter 12, verse 15, deals with the family of God, the people of God, the church. And here's what it tells us to do. Rejoice with those who rejoice, but also mourn with those who mourn. And so here's the thing, this Christmas, every Christmas, all the time, there are people that are mourning and weeping and hurting. There are people that are happy and rejoicing and celebrating. There are people who are trying to manage doing both at the same time. They've lost a loved one, but a grandchild's been born, and they're in this whirlwind of emotions. And so it's the responsibility, um, as the family of God, the body of Christ, to not be afraid to deal with either and to not be afraid to join with people in their mourning or their rejoicing. And so this service today um, is for those who are hurting, but it's also for those who know someone that's hurting. And listen, if you don't know someone who's hurting, let me just gently tell you, you need to get out more, okay? <laughs> you, you need to talk to some human beings and ask better questions if you don't know anybody that's hurting. How many know someone that's hurting? This morning, right? We all know people that are hurting, but then let me also say this. In the coming weeks, we're not going to shy away from celebrating and having fun and enjoying Christmas just because there are those who are hurting. Today, we're going to lean into some of that hurt. Next week is kids' Christmas. We're going to have a grand old time, and we'd encourage you, even if you're hurting, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to find a way to see God's goodness and grace. And and, and what's going on for them. So this morning, um, I want to jump into it now. I want to consider someone um, who we see mentioned briefly in the Christmas story. And in fact, um, if you were here last Sunday, Ashley Pritchett spoke for us. Did an incredible job, didn't she? I know she's not here, but like, just make some noise for Ashley. Did an awesome job. And uh, if you haven't seen this by chance, um, Ashley talked about how she in her neighborhood there's a Christmas contest. and one of the things is most inflatables, and she's like, we could win most inflatables, and, and her husband was like, absolutely not, and so she got two small inflatables, but she wants more, and so I thought it would be funny, this is who I am as a person, I thought it would be funny to mess with Josh, and so Tuesday, um, thanks to Amazon Prime, an eight-foot polar bear showed up at their house, and, and I thought that was awesome. I was happy with that being the extent of the prank, but like eight more have come in from other people since that happened and I think we're at double digits, maybe in the Pritchett's lawn now, and um, Josh is pleading with people to stop sending inflatables, and I love it so much. Um, But anyway, Ashley mentioned briefly this character that I'm gonna look at today that has experienced maybe some of the same highs and lows um, that we have, and his name is John the Baptist. Um, I spent spent the weekend in about 24 hours In traffic I mean Branson and um, was with some aunts and uncles and cousins and second cousins and so forth and so we learn um, in in the Christmas story that Jesus's mother Mary has a cousin named Elizabeth and they're pregnant around the same time right and so they both give birth to baby boys one pretty substantial baby boys I would say Jesus and John the Baptist and so Jesus is second cousin is John the Baptist, and really, his whole life, you think we look forward to Christmas and celebrating the Christmas season, John's whole life was about preparing for the coming of the Messiah, and so even though they're born around the same time, there was prophecies about John and Jesus long before John existed, we see that actually, when Mary shows up and greets Elizabeth, uh, John, in the womb, jumps for joy. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit, like that's pretty crazy to me. But he he uh, is the he's the opening act for Jesus. He he's the prophet in the wilderness. There's been hundreds of years of silence in Israel. God has not spoke through his prophets, and John shows up preaching in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance. And he's kind of the crazy guy that lives in the woods and dresses funny and eats funny and and preaches a harsh message. But he's calling people to repentance and he's telling them as they try over and over and over to put him on a pedestal, he's telling them over and over, listen, there's one coming that's greater than me. I baptize you in water. There's one that's going to come. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. So John's whole life, the prophecies about him, him as a baby, his adult life, his ministry, all of it is getting ready for Jesus. He grew up getting people ready for Jesus's coming. Now we don't know exactly when they met or how often they were around each other. We see this encounter while John's in the womb and then later as adults, when Jesus is baptized and starts his ministry, his second cousin John is the one that baptizes him and he at first he's like no Jesus you should be baptizing me how many can understand that Jesus shows up you're like I'm no you should be doing this and Jesus is like no no no, this is the plan and so he baptizes him and he's there when the heavens open and the voice from heaven speaks this is my son I'm well pleased in him and the dove comes. like John has seen some stuff he knows who Jesus is but we don't know you know, did they, did they play as kids? Were they friends as teenagers? Did they arm wrestle? We don't know any of that, right? And we don't know if John understood the whole time that, yeah, this is the Messiah, this is the Christ, and he was just waiting for him to start his ministry, or if there was kind of a light bulb moment where he realized, like, oh, this is him. But somehow or another, we, we find them in Matthew chapter 11. And, and despite how awesome it is that Christ has, has come... And despite the fact that John baptizes him and sees all this happen and, and people are getting baptized left and right and there's revival taking place and everyone's so excited. And listen, John's a great guy. Jesus will say there's been no one born of woman greater than John the Baptist. Like, he's awesome. He, he's righteous. He loves the Lord. He's, he's holy. He, he's committed, right? He's a good guy. Despite all of that, maybe similar to you, John finds himself disappointed, confused, hurting, and having some major questions. Matthew chapter 11, we see the problem in the first seven words. John the Baptist who was in prison. What is preaching and baptizing and helping people get you? It gets you put in prison. And so naturally, this is not how he thought it was gonna go. And we understand like the Jews all thought if Jesus was going to come as a rest, if the Messiah was going to come as a rescuer, a deliverer, a king, it wasn't quite going to look the way that it, it wind up looking. They expect him to come in on a horse with a sword and overthrow Rome and Roman oppression and set Israel free, and, and you know, we know Jesus came and led a little bit different kind of kingdom. And so John finds himself in prison hearing about the things that Jesus has done now that he's started his ministry, hearing about what the Messiah was doing. So he's in prison. His followers are coming to visit him, and he sends some of his disciples to Jesus to ask a question. And they show up, and they say, Jesus, John wanted us to ask, asking for a friend, right? Are are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Are you the one, like, we've bet on, we've prayed for, we've waited for, we put all of our chips in the center at the table for? Is that you, Or should we keep looking for someone else? Should we keep looking for someone else? I mean, John has seen the heavens open, heard the voice of the Lord, he's seen who Jesus is, but his circumstances and his pain, his hurt, his fear in prison gets him to a place of, maybe I got it wrong. Maybe that's not the Messiah after all. Are you the one? Should we look for another? Maybe you found yourself in a similar place where. You know who God is, you've been in church, you've done all of that, but in the midst of your disappointment, in the midst of things not working out the way that you thought they would, the way that you hoped they would, in the midst of your pain, you find yourself, God, where are you? Are you the, should I look somewhere else? And you know what, most of us aren't looking for a different Messiah literally, but a lot of us have tried them functionally, right? I tried church, but then I hit rock bottom and I turned back to old habits old relationships, old things, right? I looked for another solution to the pain. I looked to another escape from the pain that I was facing. We're looking for answers. John's like, man, I I just didn't think it was gonna go this way. Are you the one, Jesus? Or should I get my hopes up? Or should I look somewhere else? And Jesus' answer is both beautiful and infuriating, (laughs) if, if I'm honest, it's awesome, but it had to be crushing to John, too. Jesus answers in verse four. Go back to John, and tell him what you've heard and seen. He doesn't, Jesus is really good at not even answering questions. I don't know if you've ever noticed this in the Gospels. He rarely answers a question, right? He'll give you another question, or he'll, he'll redirect, and you're like, what am I supposed to learn from this? John says, are you the Messiah? Should we look for another? Jesus says, tell him what you've seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, the good news is being preached to the poor. In other words, yes. All the stuff you were expecting, like all the things you've heard about the Messiah, those prophecies, those things are taking place. Yes, it's me. And then he adds, verse 6, and tell him, God blesses those who don't fall away because of me. Some virgins say, God, God's with those, favors those who don't stumble on me. And so what he's basically saying is, yes, John, I'm the Messiah, but you're gonna have to trust my plan that's unfolding. It's different than your plan. It's different than your expectations. Some of your expectations aren't going to be met. You're gonna have some disappointments maybe in the short term, but, but trust me, yeah, I'm the one. And listen, this has got to hurt John because the lame walk, the blind see, you're capable, Jesus. I'm in prison. And I'm your cousin. And you're healing people that have never even met you, never even thought about you before. My whole life has been about you coming and setting up your kingdom. Have you forgot about me? Have you gotten too big? Have you forgot about your cousin? you forgot? I mean, I baptized you. Where are you at? And listen, I got bad news. This story doesn't get much better. John doesn't leave prison alive. So what do we do when things are working out for everyone else? Oh, the blind see. That's great. People less committed than John. People not even related to Jesus are being healed and rescued. What about me? And yet, I fully believe this. Those of us that are in Christ, one day we'll be where Jesus is. One day we'll be where John is. And I don't think John is going to tell us, yeah, he should have listened to me. I had a way better plan. I don't think he has any regrets. I think his suffering was small in comparison to the glory that's been revealed to him in comparison to the eternity that he's experienced with his Savior and his second cousin. John doesn't have... Regrets today. But what do we do when we see other people enjoying Christmas and it's not working out for us? This is a season that we're supposed to be holly and jolly. This is a season that we're supposed to remember Christ's coming and his great gift of salvation and all the things given, but instead we are reminded of all the things taken from us or the things that have left us or the things that have never come that we thought would come. I made a Facebook post asking people what the hardest part of this year has been or what the hardest part of this Christmas is. And I can't read them all, but I'll read a lot of them. And and keep in mind, like, this is um, people who know me. So this is a very small sliver of the human experience. Like, it's a very small list. And yet, listen to the amount of hurt and just real-life stuff going on in our world. What's the hardest part of this Christmas? What's the hardest part of this year for you? These are some of the answers I got. got. Losing my father, losing my mother, losing my grandmother, losing my grandfather, saying goodbye to our foster children, missing a child um, that we lost many years ago at birth, letting go of family members that I've tried for years to reconcile with, dealing with my own mental health issues, losing Uh, My aunt to suicide, nearly dying from COVID and pneumonia, losing loved ones to both of those, losing a friend that was riding his bike to work and was killed in an accident, losing a cousin to cancer, leaving, finally leaving a toxic relationship, dealing with the pressures of being a young adult out on my own for the first time pregnancy complications, childbirth complications, losing um, one parent, losing their oldest adult child and then discovering the youngest had a brain tumor in the same year, divorce this year, separation this year, lost a loved one to drug addiction, surgeries, multiple surgeries this year, death of my spouse, not being able to afford Christmas presents for my kids, burying my best friend, losing both of my parents separately in the same year, miscarriages, children with addiction, moving to a new state for work, just overall being lonely. And, And you know what, in the midst of all of that, these same people that are hurting, that are blue this Christmas, pick this thing up and see engagement photos and expensive gifts, and happy family photos, and ultrasound pictures, and positive doctor's reports, and clean bills of health, and job promotions, and it's working out for them, but what about me? John felt that way. Some of us feel that way, and at Blue Christmas, if you've never been, every year we light Three blue candles, and, and each year kind of pray about think about what should they represent? what are the areas of life that people are struggling with and suffering and enduring um, this year and I again, I can't cover, I can't cover everything, but I have a few I want to cover and and some of you remember a Christmas Carol, and you know that uh, Scrooge had to deal with uh, on his little journey, he had the, the dreams and all the things, and he had the ghost of. Christmas past and present and future, and so um, this morning, we're going to kind of talk about some past, present, future stuff. Um, the first candle that I want to acknowledge this morning, and maybe you're dealing with this, I think really the last two years in our country, our world, have really dealt with this one a lot, and that is the area of fear. So this morning, we don't pretend that nobody's dealing with that. A lot of people are dealing with Fear. And so fear would be the future, right? We're worried about things that haven't happened yet, and maybe they'll never happen, or maybe they're inevitable. Like, maybe they are definitely going to happen, but they haven't happened yet, and so we're dealing with fear. Fear can be a, a crippling thing. Fear, or maybe it turns to dread if it is inevitable, and so we have people dealing with fear of of what if my marriage falls apart I see it falling apart what are my kids going to do how am I going to afford to live on my own whatever maybe it's your finances and they're unraveling and you're like we've kicked that can down the road so many times eventually I don't know how we're going to make it or your loved one's health is declining and you're like is this going to be our our last christmas with them and you're so afraid of that, or maybe your kids are making decisions and you're just afraid of what the consequences might be, or another year has gone by without something you've prayed for. Maybe it's a child, maybe it's a spouse or a job or whatever, and you fear that maybe it's just never going to happen. Maybe it's all the fear of just the brokenness of our world. You're, you're, you've got a loved one and you're like, I and mean, if they got COVID, if they got pneumonia, like what would happen To them, or or, or what if if I if something happens to me, am I gonna leave a loved one behind? Or you're afraid of becoming a widow, or you're afraid of, of sending your kids to school, you turn on the news and you see stuff, and it's just it's just terrifying, and fear has just crippled you. I think John experienced some fear. He's a great man of faith, he's a courageous man, but on death row, you go, Are you the one, Jesus? Is this really how it's gonna go? Maybe John's afraid of being wrong. Like did I, did I give my whole life preparing for this Messiah and pick the wrong guy? Was all of that in vain? I could have just minded my own business, ate all the locusts and honey I wanted and kept my mouth shut and nobody would have bothered me. I'm in prison, I'm facing the end of my life for proclaiming this Messiah and I don't know if he's the right one. Some of us wonder, like, what if I'm wrong about life? What if I'm wrong about death? What if I'm wrong about faith? What if those thoughts I have are true or real, and we're afraid? What if I'm doing the wrong thing? I I see this in young people a lot. What if I choose the wrong path? What if I miss God's will? What if I choose the wrong college, choose the wrong career, Choose marry the wrong person, or, or I see parents, or what if I raise my kids wrong, I tell them the wrong thing, I break, I ruin my kids? I'm dealing with fear right now. I got a call Friday, about 2 a.m. Hey, we're taking your grandma to the hospital. Again, she's had a rough couple of months. And I thought, okay, you know, I get it. She's had a couple stints put in, whatever. Chest pain, stomach pain, okay. And then the next morning, or later that morning, the surgeon calls me. Hey, here's what's going on. There's an obstruction. Your grandmother's septic. She's got renal failure. She's got this 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 she's a she's a poor candidate for surgery she's 88 she's weak if this resolves itself you know she can go back to rehabbing her other problems and she can maybe go home one day but if it doesn't resolve itself this may be just a matter of time here and i know that people age and i know that this happens but of my four grandparents three were gone before i was here so i've had one grandparent my whole life and she was the first Christian in our family. I was the second. Um, and so she's, you know, she's special. And I'm, I'm getting to make these decisions. Yes. And um, wondering, you know, we just had her home at Thanksgiving. I'm not just wondering about her last Thanksgiving, but I'm wondering, um, is she going to make it to Christmas? And it's scary. It's not fun. Um. But listen, if you're, if you're here this morning and you're dealing with fear, I have great news for you. If you're dealing with fear, Jesus wants to be near to you. Christ is near, even in the midst of our fear. And, and he says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, and my, my peace I leave with you. We don't have to be afraid because Christmas tells us that Emmanuel, Jesus, is God with us, and really that's the story of all scripture, that's the story of the Bible, God with us. And so this morning, as we do every year, I also want to light this white candle that symbolizes that even in the midst of our fear or anything else we face, Jesus is with us. God is with us, even in our fear. The second um, category that I want to mention this morning, and this is a tough one to talk about, but the second one is loss. And so if fear is the hurt that we're dealing with in regards to the future, loss would be the hurt of the present. I know you might think past, but really the the, the difficult thing about loss is not so much the event where we lose someone or something, The, the, the bigger problem is the reality of the present without them or without it. It's the present that makes it so painful. Christmas without them. And it might be because of death, it might be because of physical distance, it might be because of estrangement and family drama. Some of us are carrying around the pain of loss of someone we've never met. It's a spouse we prayed for, it's a child we prayed for that we never received. And you'll notice in our graphic there's a chair, and each Christmas, each holiday, there's a chair maybe at your table where someone used to sit, and it's empty this year, and it hurts so much, and things are just not the same. They're not what we hoped for. We didn't see it coming, or maybe we did see it coming. Someone that we loved, someone we hoped to love, is not there, and so we grieve. And Christ is with us in that grief, and with us in that loss. You know, I I find um, theology, sometimes in strange places. And the, the, uh, some of you saw the TV show WandaVision. Great quote, great theology. Vision says, what is grief if not love, persevering? We don't grieve over the loss of people and things we never loved. It's how much we loved them or hoped for them that makes it so painful. And I'm, I'm encouraged this morning that Jesus, when his friend Lazarus died, even though He would raise him from the dead, right? Even knowing that, Jesus wept. Like in the moment, his friend has died. He's dealing with the realities of this fallen world and death and mourning and his friends and family are sad and all of this. Jesus knows what it is to grieve. He wept. Like, how could he weep? Like, he knows he's gonna raise him from the dead, he knows he's in control of eternity. But he's very, very present in our, even if it's momentary, our great feelings of loss. And then thirdly, we don't just carry around the pains of our present when somebody's missing. We don't just carry around our fears for the future. We also often carry around things from our past, and I'll call that regret. Some of us are dealing this holiday season with a great amount of regret things in our past that we are ashamed of maybe they've even led to some of our loss we think if I had done this differently maybe they'd still be here if I had done this this differently maybe that relationship would have worked out if I had done this differently maybe I wouldn't have lost that job and I could still afford those gifts and I could blah blah blah," and we have regret or maybe in the midst of our loss we think of things we should have said or things we wish we hadn't said, or time we wish we would've invested or appreciated, and so we feel guilty, we feel regret, we're ashamed of how little we visited someone, how rarely we called, how much more we wish we would've said. We wish we would've said, I love you. We wish we would've said, I forgive you. And so great regret, great shame at our selfishness, our foolishness. Here's the thing this morning. I, as your pastor, or the preacher at the church you stumbled into today, I don't know what you regret, but you do, and God does. And again, I wanna let you know that, that Jesus is present and with you, even in the midst of your greatest regret, and actually, he came to seek and to save that which was lost, he came to remove guilt And regret. He came to deal with condemnation and give us instead freedom and forgiveness and mercy and grace and a second chance. And Christmas Advent, the coming of Christ, deals with our fear, deals with our loss, deals with our regret. And here's the amazing thing He's coming again. There's a second coming. A second Advent, a second Christmas, if you will, and it's going to deal permanently with our fear and with our loss and with our regret. We don't have to fear the future because Christ has a place for us and he's coming again. We don't have to walk through loss alone. We can walk through it with Emmanuel, God, with us, and we don't have to feel guilty or feel deep regret because Jesus has dealt with our regret, not just in a wooden manger but on a wooden cross. I saw no better verse to use than this one. John the Baptist's words himself, as Jesus comes down to be baptized, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look or behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we're reminded this morning that the truth of of Christmas means that Christ is with his children in all of their present pain, all of their current hurt, but that one day, one day, he's removing it. Do you understand, Christmas is Christ come to earth to be with his people, God with us. But right now, through the Holy Spirit, God is with us and and then the story of eternity is God with us? That that one day, actually, there will not be anything to fear. There will be no fear. There will be no COVID. There will be no cancer. There will be no violence. There will be nothing to fear. There will be no loss. There will come a day that God and his people will live forever. No one will die. Death will have... Death will be non-existent. The only thing dead will be death. And there's coming a day where there will be nothing for us to regret. And and do you know what will be left? There will be no fear. There will be no loss. There will be no regret. There will be God, Father, Spirit, Son, and this part blows my mind, and us. God with us. That's not just Christmas. That's not just here and now. That's forever. That's eternity. That's what we have to look forward to. That's the hope that we're clinging to, even in the midst of our hurt and our pain this Christmas season. And Jesus gave us a way to look forward to that. He instituted a way to remember him and to join him, be with him in the here and now until he comes again. He said, do this until I come again. And it's something that we call communion. Um, In the night before he suffered, was arrested and betrayed, Jesus, at a meal with his friends, broke bread and passed it around and taught them that that bread, the breaking of that bread symbolized the breaking of his body, the beating he was about to go through on the cross for us, instead of us, because of us. And then he took a cup and he said, this cup, this wine, is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of our sin. And he gave him the cup. And here's the thing, Christmas hurts sometimes, but we can still serve God even in our suffering because our God served us through his suffering. And for the joy set before him, the joy of bringing us back to the Father, the joy of putting us in a place where there is no fear and there is no loss and there is no regret, the joy, what he looked forward to, reuniting us with God, God with us, that joy made something as painful, as unimaginable as the cross worth it to Jesus Christ. He said it's worth it. They're worth it. My Father, His will is worth it. And so this morning, we believe just two things about communion that we want you to know. We believe in open communion. You can be visiting here. You don't have to be from Bluff First to take communion with us. There's no membership card or anything like that that you need. If you, if you belong to Christ, like join us in communion. But then we do believe in believer's communion. This is not just a ritual that we do and everyone should do. This is something that Christians should do. Okay? The same way we say we don't don't just baptize everybody, we baptize Christians, right? We would invite you to take communion as a believer. But if you're here this morning and you've wandered and you've not been following Jesus, I'm not trying to tell you to not take communion. I'm inviting you to the table to take it in faith for the first time as a new believer. I'm inviting you to take his body, his blood, and believe in faith. That Emmanuel is God with us, and that He's present, and that He loves you, and that He cares for you, and He's dealt with your sin and dealt with your eternity, and you can trust Him. So that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take communion, and uh, and then after that, we're gonna sing a song that maybe um, is it's gonna be a little bit of a, a twist on a on a classic. I think it's gonna minister to you today. But if you would stand with me this morning. I want to pray if you'd bow your, eye, or bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. God, we thank you that you're alive and well and that you're present with us even in our suffering. We thank you that as we take communion, we join in your suffering. None of our suffering, yours nor ours, is meaningless or pointless. But God, if we knew what you knew, we would see that you have a purpose, you have a plan. And God, even in our suffering, we find grace. The things that we go through that hurt so much, that feel so wrong, they're pointing us to a God that says, yes, it's not supposed to be this way. Turn to me, come to me, follow me, serve me, and I'll wipe away every tear. I'll deal with all of this. And you'll see in full the purpose, the plan, that I had. John, it's not going to go the way that you think it's going to go. It's going to go better than what you could have come up with. And friend, this morning, you may think this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I wanted in this life. I didn't want this pain. But God has purpose for your pain if you'll trust him. Right now, we see it dimly. We see it in part. One day, we'll see in full his plan, and we're not going to wish that we could have made any changes. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For questions, prayer requests, and more information, please visit us on the web at blufffirst.com.